0: The Holy Gospel according to Mark chapter 8, glory to you, O Lord. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering, and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, but turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. with the holy angels the gospel of the lord praise, praise to you o christ you may be seated good morning it's good to be back a few weeks ago i was gone because of covid We had Pastor Maria with us last week. I had some vacation time. Thank you for affording that to me and my family. And you had Pastor Tom, and so it is very good to be with you. Let us pray. Holy God, please bless us as we study this challenging message you have given to us to take up our cross and follow you. Amen. I can understand Peter's struggle to not want Jesus to go and suffer and die. I don't want Jesus to do that either. This past week, I went down to San Diego for a training through our synod with other pastors and our bishop Dave, deacons and lay leaders, The training was dedicated to the subject of visiting those who are dying this is a very important topic and I would like to share a little bit about what I learned with you the biggest problem is that we are often afraid to be with someone who is dying or has recently died there's a temptation to deny or not show up. There's a temptation not to accept the reality of death. We who were there had an opportunity to share with one another what have been some of the most difficult situations we have dealt with around death and dying. And a pattern quickly emerged. The most difficult situations we had experienced, those who were there, were the ones where we were not able to be there, when we weren't there to be able to say goodbye. And if you think about it, that's really ironic, that when we deny death, it hurts more. There's more grief. When we are able with courage to be there, as much as the is possible to be with those who are grieving and to, to, to physically be there with, with those who have died. When we embrace death, we are able to process the grief better and there is more hope in the resurrection. And I'm seeing some head nods in agreement. This is the reason why Jesus reprimanded Peter. Peter did not want to accept the reality of death. Peter confessed that Jesus was God. He said, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of God. That just happened right before this in Mark. And so when Jesus turns around and says, okay, you know that I'm the Son of God, now I'm going to go suffer and die on a cross, Peter doesn't get it. He says, what are you talking about? You're God. You should be above this. Peter was thinking not divinely, but thinking according to the logic of this world order in which we live. The world order since then and even still today is based off of a lie. A massive, huge deception. And the lie is this. Good things happen to good people. The better you are, the more better your life will be. And if bad things happen to you in your life, well, you must have deserved it. You must have been bad. That is just a lie. It is not the truth. But it's a really useful lie. It's a useful lie, especially to those who are at the top. For those who've got a lot of resources and power and enjoy the privilege, it's a very useful lie because it says if you're down there, that's where you deserve to be. And if we're up here, that's where we deserve to be. It's an incredibly useful lie. And let's face it, we're not the ones at the very top, and we're we're definitely not the ones at the very bottom. We're somewhere in the middle. And wherever we are in terms of power and privilege on this earth, the lie is still useful. Because if we meet someone who's really suffering, it allows us to not care, to not get involved, to not have to take on the responsibility for the suffering of the world. And we see this happen in subtle ways all around us, especially in the news. Doesn't matter which one, they all do some very similar things. We see someone who is a refugee. They're a refugee because the resources from their country have been extracted. And when they risk their life looking for some kind of a job somewhere, they get called. Illegal. Take away their humanity. They're illegal. That way we don't have to care about them. We see someone who's kicked out of their home a generation ago. They didn't do anything wrong. It was just taken from them because of geopolitics. And they'd like to go back to their home. They get called a terrorist. We see a generation coming up. With an economy, this past week, I was at Pioneer Junior High for Career Day. Great experience. I was talking to all these other professionals, very high-powered people, and I heard a common thing from many of them. Their retirements are less than the generation before them. The pay is less. The benefits are less. These are very smart, hardworking people. And so we have a new generation coming up that's not sure that they're going to have the same opportunities we have, and what do we say about them? Oh, the millennials, they don't want to work. They don't want to work. They're not like us. When in reality, the prospects aren't what they used to be. You see how that subtle lie gets parsed out in many ways as a a utility to not have to get involved with making the world more fair. But thanks be to God, Jesus opens our eyes the Word of God, the Bible, when we actually study the Bible together and we engage in our our Sunday schools and our conversations, our eyes are open and we begin to see the truth, the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is that that's not what God does. God doesn't punish people like that. God loves us unconditionally, each and every person. And because God loves us unconditionally and has given us everything that we need, if we want to see the world be more better and just, we have got to be the ones who do it. If we do not change things, they will never change. That is what Jesus meant when he said, take up your cross and follow me. You've got to be the ones to do it. How? How do we do this? If we don't fully understand, it seems like taking up our cross and following Jesus almost sounds like suicide. But it's not. Suicide is the world order. If things keep going on like this, where there's a few at the top and more and more people going down, it will be hard for our earth to survive. That is self-destruction. The cross is life. When we take up our cross to follow Jesus, it is an act. You, You heard the children say it. They said everything we need to know. It's an act of faith. It's the path to heaven. Taking up our cross means that we believe that every human being is Jesus, Every single human being we meet, we should treat like they are the son of God. They are a daughter of God. That is faith. Jesus never said he was going to suffer because he wanted to. He was just aware of what was at stake. He was aware that it could cost us our life to do the right thing. When we resist the order of the world, there will be consequences, and he wants us to know that and be prepared. It will cost us our life. We were studying this text with some pastors this week and lay leaders, and one pastor, Pastor Ramon, a really good pastor down in Vista, he shared a story with us. He said uh, last summer he was on vacation with his family, and they went up to Oregon, to the gorge, the Columbia River. And there's a waterfall there called Multnomah Falls. Maybe you've been there. I haven't. Um, But it's one of the largest waterfalls in in North America, the largest attraction in the Pacific Northwest, sort of like the Grand Grand Canyon here, you know, in in Arizona. Um, Millions and millions of people, not here, but Arizona. Anyway. Ramon and his family are very athletic, and so they found out that there's a hike that you can do. Before you see the waterfall, you can go up and you can hike above the waterfall, and then you come back down, and it ends with the waterfall. So that's what they decided to do. So they went up and they hiked above the cliff, you know, high up on, on, the, on the top of the cliff where the river was. And when they, the, the higher they got up, the drier it got. And they went to where the creek was, and there was no water. And they thought, we came all this way. Is there no waterfall? And so they kept hiking. They did the hike, and they came down. And as they came down closer to the cliff again, they began to hear. And then they began to see a little stream of water. And then they began to see a, a, a creek. And then they began to see a river. And finally, when they got to the, rock, the waterfall, indeed, it was gushing. It was huge. It was shooting out. Why? Why? Because in that particular part of Oregon, the water on Mount Hood and everywhere else, it seeps into the ground, into an aquifer. And so there's essentially an underground river that you cannot see that flows and flows until it gets to the gorge, and then it shoots out dramatically, beautifully. Friends, that is a sign of the resurrection. Our lives might be simple. We might be like a drop of water that falls from a cloud onto the earth and we might disappear into the earth as death. But what we cannot see is the river that forms underground, the droplets of water that collect and to form a river and it comes gushing out, gushing out as a spring of life to nourish the earth. That is resurrection. We haven't seen it yet, but it's coming. God loves us unconditionally and gives us eternal life so that when we set our lives to Christ and His cross, we will be part of that great resurrection when peace and justice comes to the earth. Amen. Please stand as you're able for the hymn of actually no, please don't stand. We have a very, very